You are listening to Girl Speak, a podcast series all about art, history, and contemporary culture with a girl's eye view. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 36 of Girl Speak, our news roundup for June 2015. I'm Tiffany Rhodes, program developer with Girl Museum. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, or streaming us today. Girl Speak is produced by Girl Museum, the first and only museum in the world dedicated to celebrating girlhood. Girl Museum explores the art, history, and culture of girls around the world in the past and present. All of our programs are volunteer-run and supported by listeners like you. Visit us on the web at www.girlmuseum.org. This month, we're going to change things up a little. In the past, we've toured the globe region by region to give you the latest girl-related news. We think it's time for something a little different, thematic roundups. You'll still be getting all the great news and incredible girl stories, but we'll be focusing on the themes of these stories. So much of girl culture is tied into social media and current events that these themes will change each month. Using themes also allows us to trace the development of stories, and perhaps analyze how a movement in one part of the world might influence movements in other parts of the world. To begin, we look at stories that have an international focus. Our first is the G7 Summit, which was held this past month in Germany. Attendees included leaders of the seven member states, the United States, United Kingdom, Japan, Italy, Germany, France, and Canada, as well as representatives of the European Union, guest invitees from other countries such as Iraq and Tunisia, and international institutions such as the African Union, United Nations, and World Bank. Key topics at the summit included the protection of the marine environment, antibiotic resistance and diseases, and empowering self-employed women. The leaders committed to a number of new actions to implement over the next 15 years. Among these actions was, for the first time ever, an initiative supporting women and girls in G7 and developing countries by increasing vocational training of women by a third. As stated in the summit's declaration, women's entrepreneurship is a key driver of innovation, growth, and jobs. However, across G7 countries and around the world, far fewer women than men run their own businesses, often due to additional barriers that women face in starting and growing businesses. We agree on common principles to boost women's entrepreneurship. In particular, we will make girls and women aware of the possibility of becoming entrepreneurs. We will address the specific needs of women entrepreneurs by promoting their access to finance, markets, skills, leadership opportunities, and networks. This is great news for girls and women, especially since the G7 Summit will influence decisions at other major conferences later this year such as the G7 Forum for Dialogue with Women in September, and the World Assembly for Women to be hosted in Japan in 2016. But the real test will come in the implementation of these beliefs, to ensure that policies and words result in quantifiable, positive impacts for women and girls around the world. Also in international news, the United Nations released a draft of the political outcome document that it will adopt in September when the General Assembly convenes to adopt the Sustainable Development Goals. The draft includes 17 goals and 169 targets. 
These goals will replace the Millennium Development Goals, which expire at the end of this year. Though successful in some areas, the Millennium Development Goals showed marked disparities between countries. For example, while maternal mortality declined globally, many countries saw far slower declines, especially among girls and young women. And while more girls than ever before are enrolled in primary school, ensuring girls stay in and gain meaningful school skills in secondary school remains a challenge. Further, the unique needs of adolescent girls were largely left out of the Millennium Development Goals altogether. The Sustainable Development Goals outlined in the draft included one targeted at women and girls. Achieving gender equality and empowering all women and girls. While the other goals, such as ending poverty and hunger or protecting the environment, also benefit all of us, it is goal number five on gender equality to which we turn our critical eye. This goal has six parts. To end all forms of discrimination against girls and women. To eliminate all forms of violence against women and girls, including trafficking and sexual exploitation. Eliminating harmful practices such as child, early, and forced marriage and female genital mutilation. Ensuring women's full and effective participation and equal opportunities for leadership at all levels of decision making and ensuring universal access to sexual and reproductive health and reproductive rights. While all of this sounds great, it's very vague. These are wonderful goals to have, but in order to achieve them, we need a sustainable, detailed framework for action. How can we end discrimination, poverty, violence, child marriage, genital mutilation, and the litany of other harmful practices and beliefs against women and girls? The Sustainable Development Goals state that we can achieve this through undertaking reforms to give women equal rights to economic resources, as well as ownership and control over land, property, financial services, and natural resources. By enhancing the use of technology to promote women's empowerment, and by adopting and strengthening sound policies and enforceable legislation for the promotion of gender equality. Again, it all sounds great. But to implement these policies, we need more than talk, more than policies and legislation. We need concrete statistics to enable enforcement. We need education of the masses. We need people to know of and stand up for their rights. That, I think, is where the development goals are lacking. They're focused on the leaders and governments of nations, things that we can do at international and national levels to affect change. That's a huge step, but real change comes from within. It comes from the people, those who tell their stories, who learn all they can, who fight for a better future, and who stand up for others. It is only in mobilizing the masses that we'll see real change. I agree with the International Center for Research on Women, which stated in their take of the new goals, to guarantee that girls' needs are accounted for, we must set concrete goals for what we seek to improve about their lives and set up appropriate measures to gauge our progress. The Center and its partners are calling on governments to use better statistics, ones that take gender, income, disability, marital status, race, and ethnicity into account, as well as to commit to funding, collecting, and preparing these statistics as a matter of standard practice, so that we can effectively evaluate which programs are helping us toward our goals. Statistics such as those reflect girls who leave school due to early marriage or pregnancy, the number of adolescent girls giving birth or marrying under the age of 18, 
and the percentage of women who have undergone genital mutilation. These provide better, concrete looks at where girls and women need help the most, where programs are effective or not effective, and whether we are truly making progress toward a better world for girls. Yet in all this, we must remember it's up to us to affect real change. In our everyday actions and words, we influence the culture of tomorrow. By standing up for girls' rights, by learning all we can about measures like the Sustainable Development Goals, by speaking out on ways we think governments and programs can better address girls' unique needs, we contribute to a better world. Only by standing up will we no longer be forced to sit down. Also from the United Nations this month, our reports detailing that ISIS, the Islamic State currently at war in many parts of the Middle East, is selling women and girls into sexual slavery for as little as the cost of a pack of cigarettes. Representatives have been meeting with women and girls rescued or escaped from areas controlled by the insurgent group and discussing their experiences. Many report being kept in cramped conditions, subjected to abuse and assigned monetary value before being sold, often to young male foreign fighters attracted to the group by promises of wives and sex. In one case, a 15-year-old girl was sold off to an IS leader in his 50s, who taunted her desire to commit suicide before raping her. The reports are the latest in a well-documented history of the Islamic State's sexual violence toward women and girls. Many of the escaped and rescued face continuing trauma from their experiences, though the psychosocial support they need is largely lacking in the region. In better news for girls, the campaign He for She has extended into Afghanistan, one of the world's most dangerous countries for women. The launch of the campaign featured local activists, government officials, and foreign dignitaries at a meeting in Kabul to demonstrate how men play an integral role in the fight for women's rights. At a local high school, activists took the stage, sharing stories and using the slogan, A Brave Man Stands for Women. The underlying message was that gender equality can't be achieved unless men change the way they view women. He for she hopes to acquire at least 3,000 pledges from Afghan men and boys to stand up for women's rights. It's a part of the broader goal of one billion signatures worldwide by the time the UN General Assembly convenes in September. The campaign currently has 327,000 signatures, most from the United States. Our final two international stories relate to girls and their periods. Our first comes from the Keynes Lions International Festival of Creativity, synonymous to the Academy Awards of Advertising. This week-long event in the south of France gathers the best of the best in advertising to celebrate innovative techniques in different categories. This year, the Glass Lion category debuted to honor advertising that implicitly or explicitly addresses issues of gender inequality or prejudice through a conscious representation of gender and gender roles. The first ever Glass Lion Grand Prix Award went to Whisper's Touch the Pickle campaign from BBDO India. The ad aimed to remove the stigma about menstruation in Indian society. It used video, a TED talk, celebrity support, and comic books to tackle the superstition that if menstruating women touch the pickle jar, common in Indian households, it will go bad. The ad has seen over 3 million views on YouTube. The award was proposed and backed by Sheryl Sandberg, who stated, Advertising not only reflects culture, it has the power to shape it. 
so it's exciting to see agencies and brands creating content that shatters gender stereotypes. In relation, BuzzFeed writer Tracy Clayton has started a new hashtag campaign. Live Tweet Your Period is a response to all the times you felt ashamed or stigmatized because of your period, something that happens to girls around the world far more often than you'd think. It's a rallying cry to publicly acknowledge this fundamental and almost universal experience in girlhood, one that has a profound impact on girls' lives. It's also a way to help break the stigma surrounding menstruation and the silencing of discussion on this aspect of girls' lives. Such silencing has been actively discussed in recent news, including a New York Times piece which cited how Instagram banned an image of poet Rupi Kaur that featured some period blood on her clothes. Though that image is now permanently allowed, perhaps the most powerful statement on this trend, and certainly an inspirational manifesto for the live Tweet Your Period movement, is Rupi's response to Instagram. I bleed each month to help make humankind a possibility. My womb is home to the divine, a source of life for our species, whether I choose to create or not. But very few times it is seen that way. In older civilizations, this blood was considered holy. In some, it still is. But a majority of people, societies, and communities shun this natural process. Some are more comfortable with the pornification of women, the sexualization of women, the violence and degradation of women, than this. They cannot be bothered to express their disgust about all that, but will be angered and bothered by this. We menstruate and they see it as dirty, attention-seeking, sick, a burden, as if this process is less natural than breathing, as if it is not a bridge between this universe and the last, as if this process is not love, labor, life, selfless and strikingly beautiful. Amen, sister. Join the conversation by live-tweeting your period this month, and every month. Now we'll turn to legal news for girls around the world. The first is the Girls Count Act in the United States, which was just signed into law. The legislation was passed unanimously by Congress and will help ensure that children in developing countries are registered at birth, a key milestone to ensuring that children receive basic services and rights throughout their lives. While most countries have mechanisms in place for registering births, one of every three children worldwide do not officially exist in records. That means that nearly 230 million children under the age of five living around the world today have never been counted or granted access to basic services such as education and health care. The Girls Count Act grants agencies such as the U.S. State Department and USAID the authority to provide assistance to support counting of girls in developing countries. On the heels of this law, actress Meryl Streep sent letters to every member of Congress asking them to revive another piece of important legislation for girls, the Equal Rights Amendment. Congress passed the amendment in 1972, but it failed to gain the needed 38 states to ratify it. The amendment has been sitting dormant ever since, with repeated attempts to try to revive it. The proposed amendment to the U.S. Constitution states, Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Though nearly 70% of people polled think that such rights are already guaranteed by the Constitution, the reality is that women still lack full legal equality in the United States. 
It remains to be seen if Streep's letter will have an impact and revive the dormant amendment, but it has certainly started the conversation. Another legal victory occurred in Saudi Arabia. A new law that will allow women the right to vote and stand as candidates in upcoming municipal elections has been drafted. This groundbreaking legislation was announced last year as part of Saudi Arabia's constitutional reforms, and we are so happy to see it coming into action. It will amend current laws to allow any citizen with a valid ID who is over the age of 18 and holds a high school certificate the right to vote. The law would also enable local communities to prepare separate electoral centers for registered women and allow women to help organize elections, appoint committees, and oversee the process for female voters. The move is expected to double the number of citizens that partake in local elections in Saudi Arabia from 16,000 to at least 30,000. And in Nigeria, even better news. Female genital mutilation has officially been outlawed. The ban falls under the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act, passed last month and recently enacted into law. Criminalizing this horrible procedure, which features the partial or total removal of the external female genitalia for non-medical purposes, is a major step in changing cultural attitudes and practices. It also enables Nigeria to now focus on enforcement of the legislation, prosecuting those who continue to inflict the debilitating pain and lifelong health and psychological issues that face girls subjected to genital mutilation. Our last legal victory comes from Uganda, where the government will now conduct DNA tests on girls who are suspected to have been married off before the age of 18. It is part of the state strategy to end early child marriage and teenage pregnancies. The World Vision 2013 report indicated that Uganda was ranked 16th among 25 countries with the highest rates of early marriages, with a staggering rate of 46% of girls marrying before the age of 18. DNA testing will enable the government to aid and document many girls, especially those who don't have birth certificates, by proving the age of the girls and determining parents and relatives who marry children before the age of 18. Next, we turn to the hot topic of June, girls and sports. This month, girls were everywhere in sports, making amazing accomplishments. We begin with 17-year-old Mahina Meda, who is nominated for Ride of the Year in the 2015 Billabong XXL Big Wave Awards. Her ride took place last November in the waters of Nazar, Portugal, a known big wave hub. She rode two waves, the second topping at nearly 30 feet high and which closed in on her almost immediately. In that ride, she became the second woman on record to drop in at Nazar. Mahina is hoping the feat will help push her through to joining the top 17 female surfers on the World Surf League's Women's Championship Tour. She's currently tied for number four in the rankings after two years of crisscrossing the globe on the World Qualifying Series. She only needs to remain in the top six spots in order to qualify for the championship tour. To learn more about Mahina and other incredible surfer girls, be sure to check out our exhibit, Surfer Girl, at www.girlmuseum.org. Next up is Zahra Husseini, whose bike riding in the streets of Afghanistan has started a trend. In 2012, she began riding her bike in Bamiyan, a town with no history of women driving cars or riding bikes. Over the past three years, she has faced sneers, laughs, and sexist remarks as she rode. Yet she didn't stop there eventually training other women in how to ride bikes. 
Five of those women made Afghanistan's national cycling team last August. Her students have now included men, women, and children, including the provincial governor and the head of the Afghan Independent Human Rights Commission. Her rides and training have now become the Randan Hakimas campaign, which means biking is our right. Last summer, she organized a 22-mile ride that took cyclists past historic sites and drew 100 riders, including nine women. She is now working with local and international companies to bring paragliding to the province. Another incredible sportswoman is Serena Williams, who won the French Open this month for the 20th Grand Slam title of her career. This is the third time she has won the French Open, adding it to her six trophies each from the U.S. Open and the Australian Open, as well as five from Wimbledon. She has also become the first woman to win consecutive U.S. Open, Australian Open, and French Open titles since 1992. Only two women in the over 100-year history of Grand Slam tennis have won more titles than her. Margaret Smith Court with 24 titles and Steffi Graf with 22 titles. Way to go, Serena, and we can't wait to see you break more records. Also in France, 16-year-old Melissa Mayu became the first known female to be added to Major League Baseball's international registration list. It means she is eligible to be signed by a club during the next international signing period, which begins July 2nd. Even if she goes unsigned, Melissa will still be eligible to play in the American University system or become one of the top 25 French players who rank for the 2017 World Baseball Classic. Her inclusion on the registration list is a major step towards the time when we'll see the first female player in Major League Baseball. As Minda Haas stated in an interview with SBNation.com, there has to be a first step somewhere. She may not end up being the first female MLB player, but there has to be a first female somewhere related to MLB. Melissa Mayu matters as a breaker of one barrier, who may open the door for breakers of bigger ones. Also huge news this month is the Women's World Cup. The United States women's national team opener against Australia drew the largest television audience on record for a Women's World Cup group stage game. The match averaged more than 3.3 million viewers on Fox Sports 1, breaking the previous high of 2.5 million set in 1999. That's incredible, especially in light of a new survey conducted by researchers Cheryl Cookie of Purdue University and Michael Messner and Michaela Musto of the University of Southern California. The WSF-funded survey, entitled It's Dude Time, is a five-year update to a 25-year longitudinal study indicating the quantity of coverage of women's sports in televised sports news. Their findings indicate that only 3.2% of broadcast time from network affiliate sports news programs is devoted to women's sports. They also found that none of the news and highlight stories included a lead story on women's sports, and that over 80% of women's sports covered are solely women's basketball. While there are some positive changes, such as a decline in the tendency to sexualize women for humor, these are eclipsed by the continued presentation of women's sports as uninteresting and matter-of-fact, rather than exciting and amplified like men's sports. Also at the World Cup, the U.S. women's national team has started a hashtag campaign to support young girls around the world. With the hashtag SheBelieves, the team posted an open letter on U.S. Soccer's website, stating, 
We believe in your dreams, in your goals, and in your ability to reach them. It might be an uphill battle, and you will get knocked down, but it's your battle. Own it. Fight it. Never give up on it. You got this. The team encourages girls to share their dream with others, using the hashtag on social media. Captain Christy Rampone stated, Our fans have shown us how much they believe in us, and we believe in them too. We want everyone to have that confidence on and off the field. The She Believes initiative allows us to interact with the fans and encourage them to set high goals and strive to reach them no matter what the obstacles. As part of the campaign launch, players also visited local communities in 17 U.S. cities to give back through soccer clinics for young girls and visits to children's hospitals. What are your goals and dreams? Share them with us on social media with the hashtag SheBelieves. Next up in sports, we turn to Ottawa, where the Girl Power in Play Symposium was held in mid-June. The event was hosted by global advocacy organizations Women Deliver, UNICEF, Right to Play, One Goal, and the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition. At the symposium, a coalition of leading athletes and advocates launched a call to action, calling on policymakers and sporting organizations worldwide to increase investments in girls' sports programs as a way to improve gender and health equality. Many participants cited that playing sports opened girls' eyes to their own potential and to the barriers they can break down, inspiring confidence and empowering girls to see themselves as leaders and agents of change in their communities. As Women Deliver CEO Katja Iverson stated, It's simple. When girls are healthy, educated, and empowered, they reinvest their strength and energy in their families, communities, and nations. Now is the time to get girls off the sidelines and in the game. As part of this call, the organizations launched the social media campaign hashtag GirlsCan. The hashtag encourages the public to share photos of themselves, playing sports, and talking about why it is important to personal development, in order to raise awareness of how sports can positively influence girls' lives and call for more research and funding for girls' sports. So far, pictures have included female race car drivers in training to boxers in Africa. The pinnacle of Girls Can is expected on October 11, 2015, when the organizations will share collected stories, research, blogs, and ideas on how sports empower girls on and off the field. Join the conversation with the hashtags Girls Can, Power in Play, and Invest in Girls. Our final sports story comes from Minneapolis, Minnesota, where a group of Muslim students who play for the Cedar Riverside Community Basketball Team have created a new uniform to meet their unique needs. Partnering with the University of Minnesota Design School and the Tucker Center for Research on Girls and Women in Sports, the girls have developed uniforms that allow them to adhere to their religious beliefs while engaging in sports. Before, the girls wore long skirts and traditional hijabs that got in the way of their game, causing them to routinely fall or be unable to complete basketball moves. The new uniforms pair a long tunic with leggings and a tighter fitting hijab to enable the girls to fully participate in basketball. Now we turn to girls and the world of fashion. Like the new uniforms in Minneapolis, Atai University has recently released a new dress code that includes uniforms for students who identify as transgender. Bangkok University in Thailand has expanded their dress code to ensure that uniforms are no longer gendered, allowing students to choose the uniforms they think best fit their style and gender. 
The new uniform gives lady boys and tomboys uniform guidelines so that they can dress according to school code, but also feel personally comfortable in what they are wearing. The code allows girls and boys to choose whether to wear a skirt or pants, along with a short or long-sleeved white dress shirt, and pair it with appropriate shoes, ties, and other accessories, without any relation of these aspects to specific genders. Public response to the new uniforms has been positive. In other fashion news, Canadian high schooler Erin Paisley made headlines this month with her graduation dress. She designed a dress that turns the spotlight on all girls around the world who will never have the opportunity to walk across a stage and accept a diploma. Her dress is made entirely from her old math homework, with the words, I've received my education. Not every woman has that right. Malala.org in red marker. It was made by Erin and her best friend using scotch tape and satin wiring. Erin was inspired by the efforts of Malala Yousafzai, who she saw speak in an event yet last year. She also donated the money she would have spent on a traditional graduation dress to the Malala Fund, and is now auctioning off her homemade dress to benefit the fund as well. As of the time of writing, the current bid for the dress is $1,150. Erin hopes the dress could be used for a school demonstration, or as a learning tool to teach young girls about self-esteem and equal rights. Regardless of its final destination, the dress has sparked conversation about the nearly 31 million girls worldwide who are not enrolled in elementary school, and the nearly 34 million that never make it past fifth grade. As a result, these girls lack the skills to break the cycle of poverty and are more likely to marry early and against their will. Our final fashion story focuses on the controversy surrounding images of child model Harper Tillman on Instagram. The images feature Harper with makeup inspired by Kim Kardashian, whose techniques feature contouring and heavy use of eye and lip makeup. Many have responded to the images, stating that they are part of a disturbing trend that dresses up little girls like adults and makes them targets for abuse, rape, molestation, and pedophilia. But others defended the photo, clarifying that context is key. Shannon Goldberg noted that the images were part of a 60s-themed editorial for Saplings, a high-end fashion magazine for children, and that Harper looked beautiful. Either way, the images and the accompanying magazine raised more questions about the world of child modeling and its line between cute and inappropriate. They join other conversations, such as those about Christina Pimenova, whose Instagram features over 900,000 followers and her Facebook has over 3 million likes. She's fronted many designer campaigns, but her massive following means the young girl is often critiqued on her looks by strangers around the world. She joins a 9-year-old Chinese girl who walked the runway in a bridal look designed by Lawrence Zhu. These, question, these raise the question of whether child modeling is safe for children, or whether such intense participation in activities that spotlight physical appearance instill the idea that physical beauty and superficial charm are the keys to success, self-worth, and self-esteem. Finally, we spotlight more incredible girls from the month of June. First up is Haley Fort, a nine-year-old girl from Washington State in the U.S. who builds personal homeless shelters. She began at age five with help from her mother when she spotted a homeless man in her hometown and asked to help him. For the last four years, Haley's been helping the homeless. This year, she plans to build 12 mobile homeless shelters, which will be placed on a church lot in the city. The cost to build one shelter is about $300, mostly because many of the materials are donated.
The structures are made of pallets, stuffed with recycled denim insulation, with shingled roofs, drywall, wood siding, and vinyl flooring. The houses feature window curtains, solar-powered lamps, and a lock on the front door. She is also collecting 1,000 toiletries, 500 feminine hygiene products, and 100 coats through donations and her GoFundMe page to hand out to her friends. Haley is also growing food for her homeless friends, with a goal of 250 pounds produced this year. You can follow her progress on the Facebook page, Haley's Harvest. Our next incredible girls are teenagers from India who participated in Project Resume, created by the Salam Bombay Foundation. These three teenage girls created resumes based on what they'd like to accomplish, not what they already had. At the bottom of those resumes was written, For me, this resume will never be a reality, but you can change that. Two of the teenagers were Samina and Sakshi, who spoke to MTV News about the project. Both girls are from big families, whose parents and older siblings have not completed schooling beyond high school. Their mothers and sisters never received an education beyond 8th grade. Both live in poverty and aim to complete their education with the help of the Salam Bombay Foundation. Samina hopes to be a lawyer, and Sakshi wants to be an accountant. They both hope to use their future positions to support girls' education. Our final incredible girls are the Syrian refugees, who created inspiring photos of their future selves. In many parts of the world, girls reach womanhood without ever being asked about their dreams and ambitions. Instead, they are expected to leave school early, work day and night to support their families, and face threats of early marriage, violence, and exploitation. The Vision Not Victim program from the International Rescue Committee aims to give girls an opportunity to imagine new possibilities and see their future selves. Recently, the program released several images of Syrian refugee girls who participated. These girls are part of the over 3 million people who have fled Syria as a result of the bloody civil war. Many now live in Jordan, with 4 out of 5 refugees being women and children. Daily survival trumps long-term dreams for these girls. Vision Not Victim is a worldwide response to such tribulations, providing a beacon of hope for girls who otherwise face a dismal future. In the program, girls are paired with mentors from their community guided to help expand their ideas of what is possible, create future visions of themselves, and develop a strategic plan for achieving it. They then participate in a photo shoot, posing as their future selves, and leave with their inspiring portraits to share with family, friends, and communities. Some of the girls featured include 10-year-old Amani, who dreams of being an airline pilot, 13-year-old Marwa, who wants to be a painter, Nine-year-old Hiba, who hopes to be a doctor. Sixteen-year-old Fatima, who dreams of being an architect. Sixteen-year-old Nur, who hopes to be a lawyer fighting for women's rights and defending victims of domestic violence. And eleven-year-old Fatima, who hopes to be a policewoman. As a final reminder, we are now accepting contributions for our YI Game Gallery. The gallery is part of our upcoming exhibit, Gamer Girl, which explores girls in gaming history and contemporary culture, discussing how gaming is a positive, empowering force for girls worldwide. Join the conversation today by submitting your YI game entry. Instructions are on our website at www.girlmuseum.org, 
and you can join our Facebook event page to stay updated on all the great contributions, sneak peeks, and launch of our exhibit in August. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Be sure to tune in to our next podcast on July 17th, where we will be exploring girls in comics. Also, please help to support future production of Girl Speak by visiting our Podbean site at girlmuseum.podbean.com and clicking Support Girl Speak. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. If you like hearing a fresh, girl-positive perspective on the internet, please support us with a tax-deductible donation easily made on our website. Our music is courtesy of up-and-coming artist Han Av. You can find her SoundCloud link on our website.